Hey, we're in a, a, our season of Lent, and thank you for those of you that were able to come on Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is a, a great time in our faith. Of, it's a gift of the church where we come and we acknowledge our finitude. We acknowledge that we are broken, we are not perfect, that we're sinners. We fall far short of God's uh, grace every day, and through ashes that were placed upon us, we recognize that as an outward symbol of an inward change in us. And so instead of, we don't put on like... Uh, um, you know, sackcloth and stuff like that, like they did in the biblical days. But, but Ash Wednesday is that reminder, and it means that something important is coming. And that's the season we're in now. It's called the season of Lent, not the stuff in your belly button, but, but it's something that's it's really important. And it's a time to, to examine. It's a time to really look inward. And it's a time to ask ourselves some really important questions. And those questions are like today's question. Um, am I a real disciple? Am I committed? Am I committed to Jesus. And so, so we thought long and hard in our, in our series title is called Encounter. And really every Sunday up until the Easter Sunday, even through that and afterwards, our hope is, is that we encounter Jesus in a way that maybe we've never encountered Jesus before. And that's my hope. You know, I, I know that on any given day um, in church, and I, I'm the same way, on any given day, we may not be like right in our head when we're here in worship, or we might be thinking about other things that are going on, like, you know, the stock market and, and all that other stuff, and thinking about our investments. What are we going to do? But you know, listen, I, I think it's really important that we come here and that we're all in. Would you agree with that? That we're all in and that we, that we are really diving and digging deeper in, in our teaching in the way of knowing who Jesus is. So uh, what I'm going to do is we're going to teach through the series, uh, teach through the Gospel of Matthew through this series, and I want to take us to um, chapter eight in just a second. And and what I want to let you know is up through verses one through seven, a lot is happening in the life of Jesus. In fact, what we know is is that you know Jesus is uh, baptized by his cousin John in the Jordan River. We know that uh, the heavens open and and this booming voice says to the people, "This is my son, whom I most please." Listen to him. And it's a command that, that we are to listen to what God's word is through Jesus, God in the flesh here on earth. And we also know that, that after Jesus is baptized by John, he goes off into the wilderness, and it's a time of temptation. And for 40 days, he comes into head-to-head combat with the devil. And the devil is tempting him on the things that we get tempted by every day. Do I have enough food? Do I have enough things that will comforts to keep me? Do I, you know, do I need more power? Do I know that, um, that I could just jump off of a tall mountain and, 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 and fall and die, but, but God would not allow me to be harmed? I mean, we're, we're, we're kind of tested with all this stuff. And Jesus, time and time again, his words are very clear. The Lord God says this. And what he's telling us is, is the truth in the word. So, so, so this is happening. So he defeats the devil. He defeats those temptations. He begins healing people. He walks along the seaside and he says these powerful words, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men and women. So lots of things are happening. And in all these things happening as he's healing and teaching, Jesus is drawing this huge crowd. And the crowd is there listening and anticipating what's happening. In fact, some of them are throwing out words, who is this guy? I mean, listen to the power and the authority in which he teaches. And, and Jesus is, is, is something that we need to really listen to. And in all fairness, he's become a rock star of their day. And he's generating these crowds of people. And he gathers a huge crowd on a, on a mountainside. And he begins to talk to them about what's, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins to take the teachings that they've been taught all throughout their lives, and he begins interjecting different things in there. 
like loving your enemies, and, and you are salt and light, and things, what are you talking about? And Jesus is laying the groundwork of the importance of what it means to be a disciple, the importance of what it means to follow him. And that's what we want to clue in today as we take a look at this. You know, these crowds of people, they're gathering around Jesus, and, and, and it makes me wonder and think that, that even though he's drawing crowds, there are many who are in the crowds that are probably asking the question, who is this guy? Is he really God? Is he really who we think he is? And I'm not silly enough to, to know, but I, I, or silly enough not to know, but I know that today we ask that question. We come to church, we, we walk through our life, we do devotions, we talk to uh, friends in the faith, and, and we sometimes wonder when, when things don't go the right way, we sometimes wonder, is, is God for real? And Matthew talks to us about the importance of that. But in this time, as, as we're leaning up into chapter 8, Matthew is pointing out that something important is happening in the life of Jesus. Jesus is looking for the individual who's a part of the crowd so that he can give the invitation so that they can be a part of him. You see, so often in our crowds, you know, we can, we can love our leaders when things are going great, right? Or, or we can trash our leaders when things don't go so great. And so Jesus is seeing a little bit of this going on. But what he's doing is he's looking in the crowd for the person to move from crowd to disciple, from crowd to person who sees him for who he is. You know, thinking this through, I... I was thinking a little bit of my life this past week, and, and I grew up in a, a Christian home, at least it was a home that, that established Christian values. You know, we, we were taught not to steal, we were taught not to lie, even though sometimes as a kid you do. We were taught to respect parents, we were taught to respect adults. It was yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, everywhere we went. You know, we didn't trash our teachers, we, 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 we respected that. We were, taught, we were taught those values, and, and I was thinking about that a little bit this week, and I remember trying to figure out, when did I first, like, give my life to Jesus? And I immediately went back into history to a time when I was a little boy, and um, my family didn't go to church as often as maybe we could have, but we went from time to time, and I remember those times that I did go, that I'd love to participate in Sunday school class. Who, who all remembers a Sunday school class when you were a kid? Yeah, you know, and I remember in that, and, and I remember the teacher leading in a lesson to, to get to the point of what was called of an invitation, and that invitation was to say as a kid that I know who Jesus is and I want him to be Lord of my life. And I remember making that confession as a small kid, but then I started assessing a little bit about was that real or not, because when I looked at it, my motive was kind of different. Instead of just really giving my life to Jesus at a young age, what I really wanted, I wanted a high five from the teacher, and I wanted what was in the treasure box. You know, so, so to make that confession that day, to get the high five, I got to go to the treasure box, and I got what I wanted by saying that Jesus was my Lord. I got a slinky, and I loved that slinky, and I played with it all the time. So it wasn't real, was it? It wasn't, it wasn't something that was purposeful. And so I started thinking a little bit about my life and reflecting on that, about um, when Jesus says that, that, you know, there's got to be something more in life than a plastic slinky. And so I started thinking about my college years, and and uh, when I went, to, went into college, I, um, uh, I didn't do very well on the front end. I, uh, I got involved in a fraternity that had been long been established. It probably had a presence on most college campuses. It was ITK, I tap a keg. And, um, 
And it was that kind of fraternity that drew you in. And so I was making a lot of bad choices when I was a, a kid in college. In fact, my first college semester, I got placed on academic probation. What does that mean? It meant that I was that far from getting booted out of college. I know, wasn't that bad? And, um, but look at me now, right? No, but anyway, so, but, but think about that. So, so I was making these bad choices. I was on the party scene. I was, I was partying an awful lot and, and I was, um, you know, putting, putting beer before other things. And I remember coming home late night. My parents had to deal with me. They said, if you put yourself through college, if you pay for all of your expenses, your tuition, your books, your transportation, all that, we'll let you live at home rent free. And that was okay. I, I did that. But there was many nights I'd go home and my key wouldn't just quite make it into the, the lock when it would swing open, either my mom or dad would be standing there giving me the sniff test. You know what that is? And there were some times that I regrettably say that, that I probably wasn't in my best. Because I remember one time I, I woke up the next morning. Have you ever been asleep and, and you feel like somebody's like, this presence is just over you? Has that ever happened? Not, not talking like the family dog, but, but you know, you're, you're there. And then and all of a sudden I woke up and there's my dad like this close looking at me. And he's looking down at me. And he said, son, your mom and I are concerned. We think you're off on the wrong path. We're worried about you. And so I started thinking to myself, you know, way back when I was a kid and I made that, that, that uh, proclamation that I would follow Jesus and all that, I wasn't sure in my early years that I could have passed the test. I probably would have failed the final exam. And so I started thinking a little bit about how to change my life from that standpoint. I, I started working at, at the Orlando Fashion Square Mall. I don't even know if it's there in Orlando anymore. It was in a sporting goods store. And a good friend of mine, I uh, was walking through Sears one day at lunch. His name is Clayton Miller. And Clayton and I played football together in middle school and high school. Clayton was a, a massive guy, about six foot five, six foot six. He was tall, lanky, but he was as strong as a bull. And we uh, played offensive line together. And and I remember seeing him, and I was just trying to catch up because it had been a while since I had seen him. And I was like being very playful for our conversation. And out of nowhere, he just looks at me. He says, Bob, I'm dying of cancer. And I don't know whether you're 60 years old or whether you're 50 years old, but you know, when you're 19 years old and you hear those words from somebody that's like you, I'm dying of cancer, it's a, it's a game changer, isn't it? It changes lives. And uh, I didn't know what to say, and we caught up a little bit, and, and I went on my way, he went on his way. Two weeks later, some other friends from high school came in and, and saw me and said, why weren't you at Clayton's funeral? It happened that fast. And I remember I went through the phase, like probably you have too, when, when somebody you love dies. I went through the phase, and I, and I started asking why. You know, why, God? Why him? He's so young. Why, why couldn't he have been cured? Why did he get cancer? Why, 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 why? And through those whys, I heard God whisper, what? God whispered, what? What, Bob, are you going to do with your life? Not a why, the what. And I knew right then, I'd make some changes. I need to come out of the crowd and try my best to learn what it meant to become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. Some of you have heard me mention Clayton before. But that was a, it was a troubling time. It was a troubling time, but one that reshaped who I was. God called me out that day. I don't know if you've ever been called out by God, it's not pleasant, is it? God called me out. And God said, you're wasting your life. 
He put me in the presence of a beautiful woman who ultimately became my wife, who reinstilled those values, got me back connected into the church, regrounded me, and later on, God pops this second career thing. I'm calling you to ministry now. Oh, boy. God speaks, and we listen. Matthew tells us a story in today's scripture in chapter 8. Matthew talks about um, two individuals that, that were on the crowd, that were in the crowd, and, and they had this invitation to come inside of the crowd to become a disciple of Jesus. And, and here's what he says, you know, Matthew says that the first one says, then a teacher of the law came to Jesus and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, while that scripture stays up there, I want you to look at something. Look, look at it very closely. Teacher of the law said. So this is somebody who has religion in their background. Teacher of the law most likely means a scribe. A scribe is someone who is really trained in the Mosaic laws, who is also trained well in the writings of the prophets. A scribe is one that hung out in the body of the Pharisees. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were the ones that were constantly nagging at Jesus. They were the religious um, uh, heavyweights that just were not happy with the fact that Jesus was drawing crowds, that he was healing people. But more importantly, they thought it was blasphemous that he was saying the actual words that he would forgive sin in the lives of others. Nobody could do that except God. And they said, you're not God. And so it's a shocker. A scribe comes to Jesus. All it takes is that step, right? All it takes is for somebody to step out of the crowd to step forward. Obviously, this is a person who, who on the outward side, with his language, with his question, with, with his pretense of what he's saying, he's trying to communicate, I want to be something different. And we see what happens in this exchange. Jesus sees right through this. He's like, you're not who you say you are. How do we know that? Well, how does he address Jesus? What's the word? Teacher. You read through the Gospels, what do the Gospels say? Even, even Paul's letters. The Gospels and Paul's letters tell us that, that when someone is really, really connecting with Jesus, they don't call him teacher. What do they call him? They call him Lord. They say, Lord. And so, so Jesus is reading through this, and Jesus is saying, wait a minute, you know, are, are you, do you really see this? Do you, do you really know what this means? And, and his response um, comes out, and it, and, it, and it tells us something great here. In verse, verse 20, he replies, he says, foxes have holes and, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. What does that mean? You ever read... The red, red lines, the, the, the words of Jesus, the, the words in red, as Tony Campolo, a great evangelist, would say. What does that mean? Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Kind of like that old Batman show. Riddle me this, Batman. What's, is he telling a riddle? No, he's, he's, he's actually trying to give an answer in a way that gives the guy a chance to think. What, he, what he's really saying to the scribe is, are you sure you know what you're asking? Are you sure that you want to follow me and go wherever I go? 
Because if in this little riddle, he says, you know, think about foxes and birds. You know, the, the one thing that we all want is the creature comfort, which is the necessities. We want a roof over our head, right? So if we don't have a roof over our head, then we're, we're exposed. We're kind of out there, kind of naked and afraid kind of stuff. But Jesus said, when you follow me, you may not even have a roof over your head. We may be going to places that, that you're not going to be welcomed. We're going to go to places where people are going to persecute you. If you follow me, it's going to get nasty. It's not always going to be good things. These crowds of people, yeah, they're our friends as long as we're doing what they want, but the minute we don't do what they want, guess what? On, on our best day and their, best, their worst day, they're, going to, they're just going to withdraw from us. They're not going to like us anymore. Are you sure you know what you're saying? And the scribe is perplexed. There's a real cost in following Jesus. Listen, as a kid, when I prayed that prayer and I got that slinky, I thought, wow, the cost is that, that I might have to share my slinky with one of my three brothers. Thank goodness they were older. They didn't like slinkies, so I had it all to myself. But there's a real cost. What's the cost? Well, it's usually a change in life. It usually means making choices that, that God would approve it means walking in a way of holiness is what the scripture would say. And it doesn't mean that, that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't ever make a mistake. But what it means, though, is, is that you will strive. You will strive to walk with God. Sometimes in life, I, I'm one who does not believe that God pre-orchestrates them. I'm not a Reformed theologian. A Reformed theologian says that God has predestined or preordained every activity in our life, that we're just a bunch of robots and, and God's playing with us and we're a bunch of puppets. He's pulling strings and bad things happen because God willed that in our life. As a Wesleyan, I don't believe that. I believe in free will. I believe that I stupidly make choices and because of the stupid choices I make, I have to pay for those choices. And I make good choices and I'm rewarded for those choices because of God's grace. But sometimes those things happen in our lives where we just kind of feel like we're out there. And God allows things to happen. He doesn't cause it, but he doesn't intervene. He just kind of steps back and says, I'm gonna let this play out because, kind of like with our kids when we're teaching them how to do things of life, we, we wanna run in and rescue them, but we realize I mean, we got two little puppies at home right now, and we're, we're trying to rescue one from the other. I mean, God just kind of wants you just to fight it out and learn, you know. Something like this, this little image I want to show you. Sometimes that's how we are, isn't it? We're just kind of hanging on, hoping something happens. So my question this morning to you is, what is it in your life that you're holding on to? What is it that, that you can't let go of? What do you need to trust God more with? Because if it's all about trust, if it's all about you know, moving in that direction, then we know the importance of the truth that comes with that. It's trust. So the second guy that comes in front of Jesus, you know, Matthew says here in verses 21 to 22, he says another disciple. So now notice the difference. It's not a teacher of the law. Now he uses the word disciple. So this is somebody who allegedly made the commitment to come from the cloud to the inner circle, okay? A disciple. And Matthew says, another disciple said to Jesus, Lord, there it is, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I mean, 
Jesus, come on, this is a slap in the face. The guy wants to bury his dad, and you're, and you're giving him grief over this? Sometimes Jesus doesn't make sense. Or does he? See, in the ancient world, family, unlike today, family was the priority. In the ancient world, your family and making sure your family was okay and your care for your family was a priority. So in the ancient world, they believed that if a relative died, that you could suspend all religious activities. This is what the law taught. All religious activities. This is what the, the priest taught. All religious activities could be suspended so that you could deal with your dead loved one. Even the priests and the law of the priests, it released them and allowed them to touch the dead, which they were not allowed to do because it made them unclean, which meant that they couldn't offer sacrifices. But it released the priests so they could deal with that. And so this guy, he, he's coming back saying, I'll follow you, but first let me go and bury my dead father. And Jesus says, no, let the dead bury their own dead. Think about that. Can a dead person bury somebody else? So what he's saying to this man is that your spirituality is dying. You've come from the crowd into the inner circle, but you call me Lord, but, but are you really following me? Notice what the man said. I'll follow you, but first, let me go. Priority. Family is a priority. But what's the scripture tell us our number one priority is? It's God. God. So those of us in the room who feel like our husband is our number one priority, our wife is our number one priority, our kids, our career, our home, our equity accounts, whatever it is, those aren't your priority. It's God. So Jesus knew that, that this man was making a priority shift, that yes, it wasn't the fact that he needed to go bury his dead father, but because he said, I have to do this before anything else that I do with you. And Jesus said, no. You see, this is something that's real critical that we're going to learn in Lent, and sometimes we forget it. Jesus doesn't want a half-hearted commitment. He wants us all in. And when we're all in, we begin to move away from the crowd and into the inner circle. First go. Let me first go. I mean, what's this guy waiting for? Maybe he's waiting for his parent to die. Let me first be, go there because my other siblings are going to be there and I want to be the first there so that I make sure that I get my share of the wealth. Maybe he says first go because of, of whatever reason. He, maybe he's a pleaser and he needs to get there so that his parents think that he's really in love with them. But Jesus said, no, follow me. See, the man, in essence, is saying, I believe in Jesus, but I just can't make him the number one priority in my life yet. Let me get my career in order. Let me get my kids raised. Let me get my house paid off. Let me do this. Let me do that. When all that happens, then I'll make Jesus the priority of my life. You see how the scripture challenges that. You see, it's so easy for us to understand what we read in scripture. But how do we go from here to here? 
We can read Scripture, we can recite Scripture, we can interpret Scripture, we can comment on Scripture, we can say this, we can say that, we can rebuke people with Scripture, we can, we can redeem people with Scripture, we can do all those things, but if it's only in our head and not our heart, is it real? So Jesus says to both of these, it's a transformation of your heart that is needed. And that's what Lent is. It's a season to come into this place to journey together for 40 days, to see the horrible things that God endured on our behalf, to understand the significance of the commitment of God in our lives, that he would go to a cross, he'd be brutalized, he would die a cruel death, a death on a cross which was a death of shame, and he did that all because of his love for us. And then we can get to the tomb. But these 40 days come. So my question to you is, are you a part of the crowd or are you in the inner circle? If you're on the crowd or if you're in the crowd, don't fret. Jesus is calling you into the inner circle. Accept that calling and move. Lay down whatever it is that you've put out there as the excuse or the priority to be fully committed to follow. And yes, making a commitment to Christ may mean that you're going to tick off some friends and family and business associates. But you know what? It's okay. Jesus said to both of those men, I know what it's like to leave my father. I left my heavenly father to come here. And he said, and I know what it's like to die because I'm ready to die for your sin." So we come to this table, this, this Holy Communion, and we come today and we, and we celebrate the fact that, that this is the point in time when, when we feel the closest to God, that through the bread and through the cup, that Jesus is here. We call that real presence. And in the midst of that real presence, Christ comes in his redeeming grace. And he showers us with his love. And he reminds us that, that death is not the end. That, that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for our sins. And that proves God's love for us. Jesus loves you. He's calling you from the outside. Then come on in and receive this love and grace.